Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jamie, and as always, I'm really glad that you have decided to join us today. Today's show is fun for me because I'm talking to a founder of an organization, and I just always love to hear how things started. I want to know, where'd you get the information? Where'd the passion come from? How'd you do this? All the things. And this organization is one that I have been curious about for a while. Here's how I heard about this organization. Longtime listeners, do you remember my friend Shruti Parker? She's been on the show before. She was here in 2019, so not that long ago, actually. Episode number 236. She shares her story about how she came to know Jesus. Well, Shruti has been sharing about the Invisible Girl Project, and so I have become curious about it. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder and president of the Invisible Girl Project, Jill McElyay. Their whole purpose in India is to end gendercide, which is the killing of girls in India. In fact, she tells us today about how many millions of women and girls are missing from India. It is a staggering statistic that is going to cause you to stop in your tracks and think about this. I want to give you a little bit of warning going into the show the work she does is hard. The work she does is working with, like we just said, the gender side, the killing of girls, the abuse of girls and women in this country. And so I want to let you know there's going to be some hard stories. And if that is something that would be hard for you, we give you all the permission in the world and you never need my permission, but we give you permission to skip out on this episode. I loved meeting Jill today. She came into the office and recorded this with me here in Austin. I loved meeting her and hearing her story of how she was a lawyer and she wanted to work with justice and she ended up in India with IJM and she met her husband and all the things and she tells us the whole story, which I know there's a million more things she did not tell us about. But today's episode is going to be one that makes you kind of step back and pause and it's going to make you think, what can I do to be a part of the solution? And so I'm just prayerful that as you listen, that you do find ways that God's asking you to be a part of the solution in this massive problem with women and girls in India. At the end of the episode, Jill tells us all the ways that you can get involved. So stay tuned for her to say that. Don't forget, you guys, we have all of the show notes for you. If you're looking for a link, if we talk about a book you want to know about, if you want to get involved, all of the things are in the show notes, and it's super easy to find. You're listening to episode number 524, so you'll go to jamieivy.com slash hh524. I want to let you know that yesterday was the first day of fall, and so we have a big sale in our merch store. The Happy Hour loves selling merch. I love making t-shirts. I love all the things. We're always looking for new ideas. And right now we are making room for some fall merchandise that's coming to the store soon. So we want to help move some of our short sleeve stuff. So if you go to jamieivy.com slash store, use the promo code fall, you're going to get 20% off anything that is short sleeve. Guys, go over there. Some of them are already on sale. You're going to get some really good deals on some really cute t-shirts. So jamieivy.com slash store. Use the promo code FALL and you'll get 20% off. All right, friends, I'm super excited to introduce you to my new friend, co-founder and president of the Invisible Girl Project, Jill McElyay. Jill, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with you. I'm really excited to have you. And I was telling Lindsay this morning, we were talking about 
our conversation that we're about to have. And I just said, I'm so very excited to hear the story mm. of what you have to tell me. So <laughs> just be ready. I'm like a little kid over here. Like, just just tell me all the things. Um, I was driving my daughter to school this morning and um, she's a freshman. And honestly, just a little FYI, none of my kids actually really care what's going over here on over here at the happy hour. <laughs> like mom goes to work, I don't know what she's doing. But I was telling her about chatting with you this morning. Mm-hmm. And I was telling her about some statistics that I had read and all the things. And she was kind of just like, what does that actually even mean? Mm-hmm. And I just was like, wow, this is just so a conversation that is needed mm-hmm. for everyone. So welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. And I love that you're talking about it with your daughter. Because I think that there are so many people in the Western world in the United States who don't know Mm. about the discrimination going on and still continuing in India. Um, And I think it's important that we learn about it, especially as believers, Mm -hmm. and that we share it with our children. Yeah. So, Well, I mean, I'll just be honest up front. I didn't know a lot about this and still feel very uneducated about it but we'll probably get to this later we have a mutual friend Shruti Parker who's been on the show before and is on your board and she shares about it Mm -hmm. and that's where my information has come from and that's where I learned about you and your organization so before we dive into all the details because I want to hear how it all started I want to hear how we can help I want to hear what's going on I want to hear everything I want you just to introduce your organization and tell us um, what you run and what y'all are doing okay so I'm a co-founder and president of Invisible Girl Project. And we save girls' lives to end the atrocity of female gender side in India. Gender side is like taken from the word genocide, right? Yeah, it was a new word for me. <clears throat> yeah. Is it a new word? Um, no, I mean it's it's been around for a while. Um, but I think that you know, people aren't as familiar with it. We all right. have heard of genocides, but this is gender side. So it's the systematic killing of females. And it, and we see it played out in India um, with the systematic discrimination and killing of little girls just because they're female. Mm. So we're fighting that. It makes me think the only knowledge or the only thing that I can relate this to, and I want you to tell me if I'm right or wrong or off base here, is kind of what we've heard about before in China mm-hmm. with them not only having one child and not wanting girls. Is there same, different, anything alike? It's very similar. Okay. So, and I, I often when I speak about this, I talk about, hey, we've heard about this happening in China. Right. We don't know about this happening in India. Yeah. It's it's less broadcast here in the Western world, and I don't know if that's because. You know, India is a great ally. Um, mm. It's the largest democracy in the whole world. Uh, so I'm not really sure why, yeah. but the statistics are really the same. There are 37 million, according to the 2011 Indian census, 37 million more men than women in India. Wow. And the numbers in China are very similar. Wow. So we all know about it happening in China and people want to rise up and do something about it. And, and fortunately, you know, the one-child policy has been affected. I mean, it still really kind of exists because you have the two-child policy. Mm. Um, I have a great friend who fights that. Her name is Reggie Littlejohn, and she's been doing this work in China for a long time. Yeah. She's really a mentor to me. Um, but people don't know about it happening in India. And it plays out very differently in India because the laws are actually in place to protect girl children versus the laws in China that right. restrict the lives yeah. um, and, and the right to have as many children as you want. Um, but in 
India, the laws are there to protect girls. So for example, if you're pregnant, you can't find out whether you're having a boy or girl legally. It's illegal to find out. Wow. No it's, gender reveal parties no, happening. No gender reveal they parties happening. <laughs> <laughs> and we had lived, my husband Brad and I had lived in India um, before we came back to the States and, and before we started having babies of our own. And so I remember when I was pregnant with our first one, who is, we have two little girls, um, and our friends in India were like messaging back and forth. They're like, are you going to find out or are you going to do it the Indian way? <laughs> yeah. And I, we, we actually did it, quote yeah. unquote, the Indian way. Yeah. We waited to find out whether we were having a boy or girl. So it's illegal in India. The laws are in place because they recognize that there is this discrimination, this systematic discrimination against girls. And they're trying to prevent that. But it's been going on for so long and it's really... Um, become an accepted part of the culture um now now that's not to say i mean they're amazing indians that are Mm, fighting this and that recognize that this is a huge problem in their culture and they want to fix it um and so it's not everybody yeah okay and that's important that we say that right because what we do as invisible girl project we are not these westerners that have come in and said india you have a problem that we figured out we're here to fix it by any means yeah um that's really important to us and that's always been one of our core values that we are here to come alongside Indians who are doing great work to rescue girls and to change the culture from within and we want to help them do Mm -hmm. that and just a side note for listeners if you're wanting to support any organization look for who is doing the work there. Is it Mm -hmm. full of Westerners that have moved in and Mm -hmm. taking over and bringing in their ideas? Mm -hmm. Or are you linking arms and partnering Mm -hmm. with uh, locals? And I love hearing that about you guys. That's a little note to you guys listening. And I loved hearing you. I love hearing you say that because it's so important. Yeah, It's very important. It is crucial. And I know sustainability for accountability for all the for Mm -hmm. lasting change is so important. Yeah. Yay. Okay. So I want to go all the way back because what I do know is that you ended up in India with IJM, which were big IJM supporters over here at the Happy Hour. We love the stuff they're doing. So take me back to Jill pre-Brad, to (laughs) pre-Invisible Girl Project. What took a single young woman Mm -hmm. to India? So... I had been practicing law. I'm a lawyer and have been doing criminal law um, and had a private practice at that point doing criminal defense work, really for children primarily, um, up in northwest Indiana outside Chicago. And um, I also love to sing, though, and I helped lead worship at a really big church up in Granger, Indiana. And uh, one of my pastors there at the time said he had been to some conference and he said, I heard this guy speaking and he, it's you. It's like it, it's everything about you. It's justice and yet it's helping people and it's it's ministry in essence. And um, he's like, you got to check out. And he gave me this CD that he burned of Gary Haugen okay, speaking yeah. uh-huh. and I heard, I was, I remember um, it was over Thanksgiving break. I was driving from Indiana to my parents' house in Kansas City. That's where I grew up. And uh, I just listened to Gary Haugen speak at this conference on CD back when we had CD players. Yeah, I know. And I just wept. I wept. I was like, oh my goodness, it is. This is justice. This is standing up for the poor. This is everything that just makes me me, which by the way, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I love it. So, yeah. <laughs> And Gary Haugen is 
president of I- International Justice yes. Mis- Mission, IJM. That's mm-hmm. right. He was the founder. And yeah. it's grown so much, of course, since then. That was in, I think, like 2007-ish. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so I ended up going online. Long story short, over the course of the next year, I applied to IJM, really start, started investigating what it was all about. And I was hired by IJM in the fall of 2007 to go live in India, in Chennai, India, and work there uh, as the director of the legal team and as the deputy director of the office in Chennai, uh, which really works with government officials yeah, there. I was say, explain real quick what IJM lawyers would be doing. So um, we work with government officials. We would come alongside them to explain the laws and to help them do their jobs in enforcing the laws. And so when um, so it was just a really wonderful opportunity. And of course, again, I had this history of like prosecution and then defense work. So I loved being in the courtroom and yeah. I loved to be able to work with lawyers and teach them how to prosecute what was bonded labor slavery cases. Yep. So I knew that was like so. 2007, I knew that that's what I would be doing if I accepted the job with IJM. I had just planned through my church in Indianapolis, I was living in Indianapolis at the time, to go um, on a trip to India, and we were going to serve at an orphanage there. And uh, it was about a month and a half before I was supposed to move to India, and so I thought, okay, I'm, I, I was signed up for this anyway, I'm going to check India out to yeah. see if I can do this. And again, I was single at the time, and I really thought I'm never going to be married for the rest of my life. You met your husband on this trip. I did. Oh my gosh! (laughs) I totally spoiled the leave, but I'm like, I I feel like I know where this is going. But you knew it. it. You knew it. Um, So we so we went to the same church in Indianapolis. Again, I led worship there at that church too, and we never met at church. I don't know that he ever was at the services that I led or anything, which is really funny. So we are on this trip to India, literally a month and a half before I am supposed to move to India and we met but I didn't even think about him that way at the time because I thought he was great I mean he was so good with the kids and he just he was such a cool guy and his testimony was so similar to mine and just coming from and we we both came from Christian homes but we had been through things in life that were really hard and um and so that was it so I didn't like keep in touch with him or anything. Like I, um, I picked up, I moved to India in January of 2008. Okay. Took my job with IJM. Um, and I remember of course, just first landing there by myself. Here I am. Um, a single woman calling my parents after I arrived. And it's like, you know, in the middle of the night when you get there and just crying and being like, what did I do? do? (laughs) Yeah. But, it was what the Lord totally had yeah. because, um, I mean, our story could be really long and I'll make it short. Yeah. Um, but after I had lived there for a while, um, I was asked to come back and speak at IJM's Global Prayer Gathering. And this would have been in 2008. And um, so I had been on the field doing wor- the work for a couple months. And in April of 2008, I, I came back and spoke at the GPG mm-hmm. for IJM and Brad came uh, to the GPG to see you. Well, he was coming with like our whole Got it. team uh-huh. yep. that was supposed you to. You were the added bonus. I just, you know, I let them know, hey, guys, it'd be so great. We all went to India. You loved India. Like, come see what IJM yeah. is doing. And at the last minute, everybody else flaked and didn't come. And he had already booked his ticket and all those things. And he came. And I remember he, like, we had just emailed a couple times in India, but he was like, 
I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm coming like by myself. Yeah. Is this weird? And I was like, meh, you always make me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So it's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, he loved that sass. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, he came to the global prayer gathering. My parents were there. They met. I mean, that weekend we were like, I don't, it doesn't matter that I'm on the other side of yeah. the world. We're going to date long distance. Yeah. It just was really clear to us. Yeah. And so we dated. And back in those days, we had Skype. Yep. Um, we didn't have smartphones. Yep. So we got to know each other so well while I was living in, in India. And he was living in Indianapolis. Wow. And um, it was, I mean, you just see the hand of God so clearly. Not yeah. only in our meeting, but at the time. He's a pharmacist by mm-hmm. profession. He was working as an overnight pharmacist. Wow. And y'all could so they had the right hours. <laughs> That's right. So oh. we would both get off work at the same time. We'd oh talk. We'd fall asleep. He'd go. Yeah. We'd go back into work at the same time. I mean, just little details like oh, that. That's so beautiful. And God is just truly a God of details. And just, I love it. So you and you and Brad yeah. meet and yeah, yeah. fall in love and get married. Um, I want to hear when you guys decided to start the Invisible Girl Project. Yes. Um, I want to hear how did that come about? And then also just, I really want to know, you explained a little bit in the beginning about what this looks like yeah. in India, but what are girls facing mm-hmm. um, daily um, in their lives in mm-hmm. India? Mm-hmm. So at the end of 2008, so I had just been in India for like that whole year kind of by myself and um, Brad and I got married at the end of 2008 back in the U.S. And then he took a, sabbat- a sabbatical for work and uh, came over to India and our first year of marriage, here we are newlyweds mm. living in Chennai, India. And um, we went back, it was like early January 2009 after we got married and our honeymoon and um so I'm there going to work every day and he's on sabbatical. Mm. And so he had started volunteering and kind of finding things to do. And And there were some friends who were going to do an exploratory trip in South India just to kind of, we'd heard rumors about like issues that were going on with girls there. Didn't really know um, what was truthful or, I mean, the things we heard were crazy. Like just that baby girls when they were born were being drowned. And mm. um, it, it was so unfathomable to us so we had friends indians and and a couple americans were going to go see what they could find out yeah and they asked brad to go i'm like oh go honey yeah you should i gotta go to work go go see india get on your first train travel and and so they did they they um took an overnight train to south india um, and we're out in some really remote villages and it was in one of these villages that brad met a family um that wanted desperately to have a son. And so um, years, years before Brad ever met this family, the mom got pregnant in hopes of having a son. And again, couldn't find out whether she was having a boy or girl um, because it's illegal. And I don't even know if the technology would have been available to her at the time because she's living in remote South India. And it would have been at least 20 years before Brad met her. Um, And so... She was. She hoped to have a son. She got pregnant, and um, you know, when I think about this and having a child of my own or children of my own, I think about you know the first time I got pregnant and feeling the baby kick for the first time and um, feeling so sick and just all the things that come with pregnancy. And I imagine what she went through, right, and um, the bonding she may have felt with her baby, and. Then after having a healthy pregnancy uh, and giving birth nine months later, she delivered a baby girl. And um, 
at the birth of her daughter, there was no celebration uh, because it wasn't the desired son. And so this woman and her husband killed their own daughter. And um, again, she hoped to have a son. So she got pregnant again and had another healthy pregnancy, you know, went through all the things that a pregnancy brings. And uh, at the end of the nine months, had another healthy baby girl and they killed that daughter. This mother and father did that to 11 of their baby girls. They killed all 11 of their daughters upon their birth just because they're girls and they wanted a son. And so Brad hears this story when he's in this remote village of South India. He actually met their 12th daughter who they let live. So for what um, reason? And we just figure like maybe they realized they were never going to have a son. So here's this Golly. 12th daughter, Asha. Um, and um, and they decided to let her live. Well, she told Brad her story that she knew that her whole life she was unwanted, mm. that her parents had killed all 11 of her sisters. Yeah. And uh, he was just dumbstruck, to be honest. Yeah. And here she was, a 21-year-old woman standing in front of him, telling him her story. And she had just had a baby girl of her own. Mm. But she was going to let that baby girl live. And Brad got to be part of her naming ceremony. Uh, and that's so special in India. It really legitimizes the baby's birth. And so mm. Brad was in this village, part of the naming ceremony of this little girl, hearing Asha's story. And so uh, he took the train back from South India to our little apartment. Here we are in Chennai. And I just remember we're sitting at our kitchen table. I had gotten off work. He had gotten back. And I'm just looking at him from across the table. And we had, you know, I just remember the cold marble under my feet um, and the whir of the fan overhead. And looking at my sweet husband, you know, we'd been married like three weeks at this point, yeah. with tears in his eyes sharing the story of the reality of what was happening to girls. And we just knew we had to do something. Mm. We didn't know what it was going to be. We didn't even really dream about starting Invisible Girl Project. But that's the day that we say it was birth because wow. that's the day that the dream really came in our minds that now that we know about this, mm -hmm. we have to do something. Yeah. So that was in 2009. Uh, uh, in January 2009. January 2009. I mean, I you said he was dumbstruck. I feel dumbstruck yeah. and have um, birthed a child and then have three through adoption. Mm -hmm. And just that I can't even, I can't even fathom. It's not even that I can't even fathom that they killed their children. Mm -hmm. I can't even fathom that the mom thought this would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. That just feels to me like cultural bondage even. Mm -hmm. You know, that this would be a part of what we do. Mm -hmm. It's very, very sad. Okay, so you guys decided you're going to start this organization. <laughs> and so starting an organization is not for the uh, <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, it, is a, it is a big deal. And you're still working for IJM yeah. and you're doing this and Brad's on sabbatical and all the things. I kind of want to jump forward a little bit sure. and just hear what are you guys doing? Mm. Um, how are you being a part of the solution mm -hmm. for this problem? And what does it look like? And I'm very intrigued with the fact that you told me earlier that India is very well aware of this problem problem yeah. and so i think i'm just curious as to i'm gonna ask a very dumb question 
why is it still happening? Mm-hmm. And and I think I know the answer, but I want you to tell me that as well. So mm-hmm. tell me, guys, what you guys are doing. Okay. What's the solution? And then why is it still happening? Mm-hmm. So uh, in 2009, you know, we lived there our whole first year of marriage and really studied this issue. So we learned about female infanticide, that that's just one of the ways that girls are discriminated against in deadly ways that has led to 37 million more men than women in the, yeah. in the population. Mm-hmm. Um, we also learned about female feticide, which is um, sex-selective abortion. And it's illegal, as I mentioned, but it's still happening. And so you can bribe an ultrasound technician wow. to tell you whether you're having a boy or girl and then go have an abortion mm-hmm. illegally. Um, the laws in India do not provide for ab- abortion basically on demand. And so having an abortion, knowing that you're having a baby girl is illegal. Um, but so abortions are legal. Abortions are legal, but just not for abortion, that reason. For that reason. Yeah, got it. Exactly. Uh, so we learned about that. We learned about little girls who are neglected um, just because they're girls. And so families who, if they have a son and have a daughter, and if they're poor and not everybody can eat, the daughter's going to be the last one to eat. Yeah. And so we just really studied this issue because we wanted to know more. And then over the course of that year, we got to meet wonderful Indians who were doing fantastic work, but just needed their capacity and on this issue with this, on yeah. this issue yes people who had safe homes mm. where they had rescued little girls people who were advocating against this you know and so we really knew um early on i think because we lived there it was super helpful just first of all we loved india mm-hmm. it felt like home to us we still love india we have people there who are like our family yeah. we love the indian culture and so again it was important for us not to come in and be like hey we're here to fix this yeah so we knew we wanted to help the indians who are already doing great work and so we ended up at the end of 2009 Early 2010, moving back to the States, kind of figuring out how we could start an organization, not really knowing what that looked like, but knowing that we wanted to partner with Indians. And so um, Invisible Girl Project was birthed. Uh, We became uh, 501c3 and recognized by the IRS in 2011 Mm -hmm. so we had our official 10th birthday last year congratulations thank you and uh so we so we've been doing this for a long time yeah and we started out small just partnering with a couple of the organizations that you know we got to know Mm -hmm. really well while we lived there and we've grown that's Um, awesome and right now we have nine different partner organizations that are located across india and it's important that we have these partners uh, spread all over mm. because they are the people who are on the ground. They're the community-based organizations who are doing the rescue work. And so one of the pillars of Invisible Girl Project is our RICE program. And it stands for Rescue, Intervention, Care, and Empowerment. And so through our partner organizations, we're rescuing vulnerable little Mm. girls. So it makes us different from other organizations like an IJM or Rahab's Rope or other organizations that are on the ground and rescuing girls and women from brothels is we want to prevent that from happening. Because my one of my big questions was I would see a lot of this leading into sex trafficking. Yes. Yeah. So you're saying we want to come in pre Yes. We don't want to rescue them out of the brothel. We want to rescue them from ever getting into the brothel. That's right. Because think of the trauma that these girls and women suffer. And we know that once a girl goes, quote unquote, missing because Mm. she's trafficked into a brothel or she's trafficked as a child bride, like 
her life is in danger. Yeah. You might never hear from her again. Yeah. And the statistics show, and, and one, of the, one of the stats is just crazy. Years ago, the United Nations estimated that there were 50 million girls and women who were missing from India's population. That number's increased. It's actually 63 million now. And the India Economic Survey in 2018 said it's 63 million girls and women who are missing. What does that mean, missing? I mean, I know what a missing person is. Mm-hmm. I know those things. But how are 63 million people people women girls missing they've been killed they've been trafficked they it may have been like their their births were recorded and then nothing sudden, ever. Yeah. yeah that they're just gone and when that happens then you have a population of many more men than women yep which you which, already said is true yes yeah. and then you have extreme violence mm. so cases where of course you have 37 million more men than women men who will not ever be married yeah and so yes girls are trafficked into brothels they're trafficked as child Mm. brides their studies show that in uh, cultures where there are so many more men than women there is higher rates of violence against girls and women and we've seen that in india too i mean you see the case of nearby that was the young medical student Mm. years ago who um, was on a bus in delhi and and had tragic thing things happen to her Mm. so you you see stories of like that happening and so we want to prevent those things from happening and so we go upstream as an organization by having community-based organizations discover what the problem is that girls are facing in their communities Mm. and they help rescue girls from those situations so that's what rescue really means to us yeah it's preventing Mm. those awful atrocious things from happening to these girls you're like rescuing them from the possibility yeah exactly which is exactly great great work i mean it's what we see in like under-resourced neighborhoods here in america where people Mm -hmm. come in and try to rescue to use Mm -hmm. your word from them ending up uneducated or going into the system or whatever so i love it love it love it okay i intervention intervention so if we need to intervene legally if someone has uh harmed a girl we will work with local attorneys and work with our partners to prosecute people Mm. or to if we have to rescue a girl from a situation we'll work with the law to do that with with the government officials to do that so that's the i c is really care it's it's aftercare it's providing that trauma-based counseling it's providing uh the girls needs Mm. we have a child sponsorship program and so through our child sponsorship program someone here can sponsor a little girl and help meet those needs in our aftercare program and that means also sending her to school making sure that she has shoes and clothes and so we don't just rescue we don't we don't stop there because we know that we need to care for these girls long term because not only in caring for them and ensuring they're educated we want to change the mindset that they are invisible right we want them to be seen and we want that first to happen in their minds Mm. we want these girls to be change agents in their cultures in 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 their communities and in their culture and so that's what we are trying to do so that's the c that's care and then empowerment as well empowerment fits in there education and also teaching them how to be empowered to fight female gender side in their families and their communities when they're grown-ups i love it every organization i've ever met with gone on trips with seen the work that they do will all tell you that when you empower women you change a community mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think it's a beautiful thing because we we're women you and i and i got mostly women listeners and mm-hmm. it is true that there is this Um, power that women have that maybe they don't know they've Mm -hmm. never been told Mm -hmm. or maybe they just literally can't exhibit it because of their culture Um, but women can change a community and that community can change an area and that area can change and it's just like a ripple effect which I know that's what you're you're going for (laughs) 
so many people will be listening to this mm-hmm. and think that's terrible mm-hmm. i mean that's awful i mean even me as i was prepping for this interview with you was just like this is what like this is terrible mm-hmm. but then we move on right you know and i we as like i'm we're all guilty of this sure. all of us um why does this matter hmm. to anyone here living in Texas, Kansas City, North Carolina, <laughs> Nebraska, anyone here in the North America? Why does this matter to us? Hmm. Well, as believers, it should matter, right? Because our God is a God of justice. Hmm. I remember being young and and just praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Micah 6.8 is really clear. (laughs) He has shown thee, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires. Mm. What does he require of us? But to do justice. But to do justice and to love mercy and walk humbly with him. This is a grave injustice. And girls and women on the other side of the globe are going through this injustice. Mm. And God loves them. He loves little girls in India. And he doesn't want this to happen to them. And so we should care about this. We should raise our voices. And I know it's easy um, to just begin our own lives again and, and to kind of put it away because it is tragic. It's hard to think about hard things, right? But we truly believe that when people learn about this issue, because again, so many people don't know. Yeah, for sure. That they will be compelled to take action just like Brad and I were. And we're not saying that people need to go start an organization or do whatever. But like, if this is something that resonates with you Mm -hmm. and if you believe the Lord has shown this issue to you and wants you to do something about it, IGP is providing ways for people to do that, uh, to take action and to come alongside us as we rescue little girls' lives and as we fight to change the mindset that girls are invisible, Mm -hmm. that they're disposable. And so um, we ask that people not turn a blind eye. Yeah, We ask that they just face it head on and come alongside us come alongside you what does that look like because i know that you would definitely take anyone's money any yeah. day for, <laughs> write all the big checks but there's other ways too what does it look like sure. to come alongside you guys sure so we have a lot of opportunities for so many ages so i have like two little girls eight and eleven and they have lemonade stands Aww. and literally get you know $11 on a hot summer day uh, in change and we have um, a new program called change for change like we are making change agents in India we are changing lives and we want these young girls who we've rescued to change their culture and so we're asking like for little kids like we all I know there's been a change shortage hey let's all gather the change that is under our couch in our is couch it really cushions. a change shortage I don't even know about this yeah so like you go well I know I've seen like a convenience my daughter asked and- me for nickels this morning and I literally was like what are, what are we doing why do we need nickels like what's going on like you don't want a quarter <laughs> seriously <laughs> she needed to print something at stool at school and uh-huh. i was like i don't know if i have a nickel like, <laughs> i know who has nickels anymore yeah but it's true i, I guarantee if we like look in our oh, yeah. cars uh-huh. or and there i've just seen like in convenience stores like we're out of change yes. right, no, right. Yes. so so okay so let's all turn our change in yeah. let's cash it in and little kids can work yeah. for little girls in india by uh, submitting their change or take it. it to the bank and sending um, what they can yeah. to IGP because that will affect a little girl's life. Yeah. I and mean, we've seen for $60 a year, I mean, $60 for a whole year pays for a girl to go to school. Wow. That's it. It's 60 bucks. And so um, 
so that's what my little girls work for every time they have a lemonade stand so change for change we want to make change in india we want change agents and so hey give us your change please i love it (laughs) i love it um but besides money right there are ways to advocate and to raise your voice Mm. so in 2013, like IGP, again, was just a new organization. Um, but I had the opportunity to speak for before Congress on this issue. And I testified just about the issue of India's wow. missing girls. They heard about us because someone raised their voice to their elected official and said, you need to hear about this issue. Mm. And so they invited me so that I could talk about it, right? Yeah. So there are ways. And, and if you go on our website, which is invisiblegirlproject.org, invisiblegirlproject, all one word, .org, you can see ways to get involved. And one of them is really becoming an advocate. Mm. And it is uh, you're volunteering your time to um, – raise awareness about this issue so that we can help make a big change. And then one other way, I mean, again, people don't know about it. So one of our pillars is raising global awareness. And we do that through social media and uh, through Instagram, Invisible Girl Project, Facebook, Invisible Girl Project, Twitter, LinkedIn. I mean, we ask that you follow us and then you share. Because if you share with five people who've never heard about it and they share with five people, we can really make a movement to fight this issue together. And part of what we do is we really want to be bridge builders. We want to lock arms with as many people as possible to help save our sisters in India. I love it. And I was going to say, that's how I found out about you guys. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned it earlier is through Shruti Parker, Mm -hmm. who's been on the show. And I learned about it by her sharing on social Mm -hmm. media. And so I think that is a very under thought about way to be an advocate Mm -hmm. for something because we're all on it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so share things that you see. I'm talking to you, the listener. If you follow Invisible Girl Project, share what you see because it is really eye-opening to so many people and you're gonna have people go, I never knew this was happening. Mm -hmm. I never knew this was happening. Mm -hmm. How do you guys work alongside the government? Is the government Mm -hmm. happy about what you guys are doing? So yes, the government, actually started a campaign years ago and it was through Prime Minister Modi that's called Save the Girl, Educate the Girl. And I won't try and say it in Hindi. Even though I can, (laughs) I botch it every time. Uh, And the government really wants this to change. They want mindsets to change. They want girls to have an opportunity. I think the government absolutely recognizes that women can help change this issue and and the culture. And so, again, the laws are in place and the government all the way up from the Prime Minister to the Supreme Court of India wants the states to really enforce these laws. And so what we do, so another pillar of what IGP does is we have our teaching and transforming program. So on the very small level with our partners, we have, you know, we're in nine different places finding out what the issues are. We rescue girls there, but on kind of a macro level, Uh we have our teaching and transforming program. And this is where our Indians who work for us, our staff there, Go around and speak to government officials, speak to stakeholders, speak to students at colleges and universities to raise further awareness about this issue and get them on board so that they'll be change agents. And so in working with the government, we found a lot of success. Wow. It it makes me think that this would be if you just grew up and this is all you knew. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's hard because there's like a morality thing of just like, how is this? How is this okay? Even if you don't follow Jesus you know mm-hmm. it just feels like a little out there but if you just grew up in all you knew it the teaching and training would be so important mm-hmm. because you'd be like 
oh, this is just what I've known. Right. Oh, you mean that we shouldn't do this? Like, mm-hmm. this is not okay? Is this more often in, like, rural areas? Or are we seeing this in, like, big cities mm-hmm. as well? So it's all over. It's okay. all over. And it just presents differently. differently. Mm-hmm. So in bigger cities, you have more opportunity for sex selective abortion because the technology is Because you there, have access. You have access. In rural places, it might be child marriage, you know, marrying off a 12-year-old little girl. So one little girl I met, um, her name's Alia, and... Uh, she's one of our rescued girls. Yeah. And on a trip a couple of years ago, Ollie and I just sat down together and she told me her story. And it was that her parents wanted to marry her off. And Ollie was a really, she is a really good student. Yeah. And she just had dreams. Mm-hmm. And even though she'd been kind of discriminated against, she still had the opportunity to go to school. And she was, she is really smart. And uh, she knew her parents wanted to marry her off shortly after, like she became 12 years old. She had heard about our partner's work. And so one night she left home before they could marry her off. And she walked eight miles barefoot to go find IGP's partner. Wow. And when she found us, she said, please, please, will you help me? I just want to go to school. And so she became one of our rescued girls at that time. We were able to find her family, talk to them, counsel them, but we put Alia in a safe home so that her life wouldn't be in jeopardy. And uh, in that area where that partner does work, we see that child marriage is a huge issue there. Mm. And so uh, child marriage in the rural areas is a big, big thing. And it's illegal again. Is it just like we need to get her out from under our house or do we get money for this? Both. Both. Well, they don't have to pay money if she's super young. So dowry still exists in India. And it's the woman's family who pays the dowry. Uh, oh, I see. Mm-hmm. I got it. So okay, the woman's I family pays the dowry uh-huh. to the husband's family. And so if you're poor and you know you got to marry your daughter off. Get her out of there sooner. So if you get her wow. out of there sooner, you have less dowry to pay. Or maybe none at all Yeah, uh, if she's young. And so a family sees their daughter as a burden knowing yeah. that they're going to have to pay dowry. And so... You know, what we do then in our teaching and transforming program is we ask people to stand up against dowry Mm. because it is illegal. And it's been something, again, that's just happened, even though it's illegal. So we ask people to take the pledge that they will not take dowry for their son. They will not give dowry for their daughter, that they will do that for themselves and so that they can show that girls should be treated as equals and that that dowry, which perpetuates this problem, must end. Oh, Jill, I'm just like so in awe of all the amazing work that you guys are doing and congratulations on 10 years but it feels like you've been doing it for a lot longer and just a hot minute I yeah. mean, I, don't, I'm, <laughs> I just met you but I'm sure that you feel that as well um, and I'm just so excited for the listeners who are hearing this who are going to want to be on board with you guys now did I hear that you guys are hiring we are. We are. Okay. We, you might have somebody listening that okay. wants to work for you guys. Well, we are always looking for people who love Jesus, who like have a heart for justice and girls and who are leaders who can come alongside us and just dig in. And uh, we're based in Raleigh, North Carolina. So you have to come to Raleigh if you want to work for us. I mean, remember how you listened to that CD with... Uh, yeah. Um, Gary? Uh-huh. Someone's going to be listening to this podcast <laughs> with you and they'll be like... I remember I heard about this. I'm moving to Raleigh to work with you guys. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Actually, our latest 
our very last employee that we just hired was living in Tennessee and she wanted to do that. And so, yeah, we have got an awesome staff of women right now who um, we do. We love Jesus and he's why we do this, mm-hmm. even though uh, our mission isn't to evangelize. And yeah. I just want to be clear on mm-hmm. that. Our mission is to save girls' lives to end female gender side, which we believe is truly uh, showing the gospel. Yeah. And we know that's what God wants us to do. But we have to be really clear on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but our faith motivates us. And so... Uh, so we are believers and we lift each other up and um, we really support each other. And so we have a team of, of women here, even though we'll hire a guy if yeah. you're listening. <laughs> uh, and we have a team of women in India, too. We have four staff in India who are doing this wow. and then oversee our partners over there, too. So you want to go over to India if you're if you're Indian and you want to go back. Hey, send us your resume. I love it so, <laughs> so much. Um Thank you, Jill. Hey, thank you, Jamie. This has been a joy to hear all that you guys are doing. Um, I'd love to hear what you're reading. Jamie wants to know. Jamie wants to know. We want to know what you're reading. Oh, okay. Well, shout out to my cousin, Scott Drew. Yes, he's my cousin. <laughs> yeah, she just uh, like <laughs> just dropped that in here <laughs> earlier today. Well, you should tell him how this all came about because you told me you were a Baylor fan. I yes, and I'm a huge Baylor basketball fan. But yes, basketball. To be uh-huh. clear. And so it's because my cousin is Scott Drew. Our moms are sisters, and we grew up like you know our big Italian family brothers right. and sisters. And so Scott's my cousin. Oh my Sick and bears. I said something really rude to you that I would like to apologize to you what? publicly too. Well, you came in, you're like, I'm a Baylor fan. I said, Oh, did you go there? And you said, no. And I said, <laughs> it's so mean. I said, cause I didn't go to Texas and I'm a Texas fan. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't go there. Um, I said, who's a Baylor fan that didn't go to Baylor. <laughs> and I apologize about that. Oh, first of you all, do not need to apologize. But I so did to, the reason I said it is because mm-hmm. Baylor has just had some ups and downs, yeah. you know, and your cousin has done phenomenal work. Mm-hmm. And how long has Thank he been you. there? I mean, He's like 20 years. Yeah, I was going to say so. years, yeah. years and years. Yeah. So his book Road to Joy is so sweet. And actually he mentions me in there because I set him up with his wife. <gasps> oh, and so he it. tells about his wife, Kelly, and how we went to law school together. So so Road to Joy is great. And then I'm also reading another book called The Sisters of Makama. And it is so interestingly. It sounds very interesting. It is so interesting. I actually saw uh, a a tweet about it. There's a podcast um, where Rain Wilson, the guy from The uh-huh, Office, uh-huh. and Rez, who is kind of podcast partner, um, they were talking about white saviorism. And is it ever okay? Yeah. And so Rez interviewed um, a woman named Jyoti Tatham, who works for, I think, like the New York Times. Uh-huh. And um, she wrote this book about six women who are nuns from Kentucky never been to India and in the late 1940s they just picked up and moved to India and they changed lives by doing it so um, and it was a great it was really neat to hear their conversation too Uh, and in this podcast that I listened to they talked about it it goes back to what we said like really when you know should white people never do anything to support people of color no No. right but the key is for us not to come in and say, hey, we're yeah. here to fix your problems. Yeah. It's for us to lock arms yeah. and say, how do you need our help yeah. at all? And do you want ele- our help? And to elevate. And to elevate. And to leverage whatever privilege we might be bringing in Absolutely. as an American. Absolutely. You're right. I love that. Okay. I am going to go on a rabbit trail real quick. I read a book this summer. Um, I'll put the name of it in the show notes. And I believe it took place in India. I'm going to feel real dumb if, I, if I'm off here. In light of our conversation, uh, but it was about a woman who 
I can't remember which of her family. She was either Muslim or Hindu, mm-hmm. and she married the opposite. Mm-hmm. So there was a religion yeah. clash there. And her brothers, I don't want to spoil the book if anyone reads it, but really took havoc on her mm-hmm. from marrying someone yes. who I believe he was Hindu and she was Muslim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just mm-hmm. a great, great book, a, a very, very sad story. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that that is more common than yeah, it we is. would like to think. It is. I yeah. want to know that book, too. I'll tell it to you. One. I'll find it yeah. afterwards. Um, Jill, thank you. Oh, thank you, Jamie. And go bear. Sick on bears. <laughs> I will happily say sick on bears all day long. I told you already, I always cheer for the bears if they're not playing thank Texas. You. Always. Hands down. Love those bears. So <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's just been a pleasure to be here with you and real honor. And um, thanks for sharing the word about IGP. I love it. I'm I'm honored to share this. And you guys, as you're listening, you're like, I want to know all the things, but I'm like running or I'm changing diapers or I'm washing dishes while you're listening. Go to the show notes and we're going to have everything there for you. Thank you so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to give you and every opportunity we get to point all of us to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is the number one way that people find out about our show. It's because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that will make us think, they'll make us laugh, and they'll always point us back to Jesus. And come find me other places on the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm over there at Jamie Ivy. And if you've never visited my YouTube page, you're going to want to go there. Have you ever listened to a show and wondered, I wonder what they look like? Well, go find us over there. It's jamieivy.com slash YouTube. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts. Executive produced by Jamie Ivy, produced by Lindsay Sweeney, edited by Angie Elkins, show notes by Ashley Miner, art by Jen Jet Barrett, original music by Matt Graham, and I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.